Let us pray. Gracious God, as we come before your word, we pray that we might hear what you have to say and that your spirit might quicken us to respond in the way that's appropriate. And we ask these things giving you thanks, indeed for the assurance of your presence and for the promise of your speaking through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, welcome once again, everybody. Nice to be with you. We have been spending time in Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25. The fifth of five speeches which Jesus, like Moses, gave to his kingdom people. And the fifth, not surprisingly, has a lot to do with the future. And as we've been going through Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, we have found ourselves in the midst of a series on how to be prepared for the, the return of Christ. How to be prepared for the return of Christ. So we've been at this for two weeks now, and we now come to the third, and there shall be a fourth. Or there will be a fourth. Today's topic is ten bridesmaids, five talents, and one message. Remain ready. In our first week, as we began to look at chapter 24, we noticed that Jesus gave kind of a chronological summary of what to watch for in the end times. And he spoke of five shadowy signs of the future and two significant telling signs that the future was near. And if you're wondering where we are in that time chart, my friends, we are at the door. We noticed that we were at the door last week. And our message was, recognize that Christ is at the door, as it were, and be vigilant, constantly faithful, as was illustrated in the story of the two managers, the one who was tempted to slack off and be abusive, and the other who was dutiful and who fed the flock, part of an indication about what our task is to be. We are to be a resource for each other. Preachers and teachers are to preach and teach. Parents are to, are to provide for their children, and so on. And we noticed along the way there were a certain number of acronyms. On week one, I used an acronym called DUPE-ADT. DUPE-ADT, because that was the order in which Jesus outlined chapter 24. There would be D, deceptive messiahs and prophets. U, Upheavals, both geographic and political. Wars, rumors of wars, famines. P, there would be a time of unparalleled persecution. E, evangelism. The message of the gospel would be spread from one end of the earth to the other. A, and with A came one of the signals that the end is near. A figure who uh, commits an abomination of desolation. In the temple, he is an antichrist figure, an arch enemy of the gospel, and he has come, and Matthew tells us he shall come again. D, return us in 24 to deception, deceptive uh, messiahs and prophets, and then T spoke of the coming of Christ. Last week, I used another acronym, and that was AT. Jesus is at the door. 
A standing for the abomination of desolation, which is still to come, but which has taken place. So that means Jesus can both wait for a future time, but he can also come any time because there has been an abomination of desolation. And then T stands for tribulation. So folks, as we look ahead, the message is Jesus is at the door, but it's going to get tough. It's going to get very difficult. And if we are... Jesus' concern is that we might not stand and we might not make it at the end. The important thing when you think about it isn't so much whether you are declaring yourself to be a believer in Jesus right now, and I hope you are. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Are you trusting in Jesus for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for your ability to do good works? It's all about Jesus and has almost nothing to do with us. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior? That's the most important thing. And as I said last week, if this is kind of a blur for you or you, you in any way don't understand what we're talking about, please speak with someone. Because our message today, above all other messages in Matthew, is don't get caught unprepared. So the important thing isn't so much whether we're believing now, but whether we're believing when Jesus returns. And we're told that Jesus is going to return so quickly that there will be absolutely no time. The minute it happens, it will be too late. So the question before us is, will our faith be sustained? So now as we come to part three of our series, I have another little acronym, and uh, you might like acronyms, you might not. I'm a philologist by nature, and I somehow am fascinated with words. And this came to me yesterday, B-T-W-A-P. B-twap. It sounds like a B-trap, but it's a B-twap. And the B-twap is buy time with advanced preparation. The story of the ten maidens. Buy time with advanced preparation. And the story of the talents. Bide time with active production. I hope that these corny little acronyms just have a way of gnawing into your brain. Not to be annoying, which they might be, but so that you'll remember the message. <laughs> because it's the message that is vital, right? Buy time with advanced preparation. Bide time with active production. Two more ways to be ready for the return of Christ. Bide time with advanced preparation takes us to the story of the ten maidens. Jesus tells a story that brings back memories of a wedding. But the wedding is kind of different. I, I, I was tempted to use the term bridesmaids, and I did at one point, but actually these are groomsmaids. There are ten women who are taking part in a wedding ceremony, and their job somehow is to escort the groom, presumably to the wedding feast, maybe with the bride or where the bride is already. And these ten women are supposed to kind of light the way and wait for the groom to appear. And so Jesus tells us this story in verses 1 to 13. We've read it already, but one of my goals before I finish being the, the interim rector of Christ the King is to draw your attention to this fact. And it's not so much a gospel fact as it is a Bible lesson. The medium is the message. Look at the way the story is told. Because 
how the story is told tells you what's important. There are a lot of people who are wondering about whether these are lamps or torches. And the commentaries go on and on about whether it's lamps or torches. And if you read the story, you realize it doesn't matter. Uh, it's like sort of a group going out in the evening and they have flashlights. And uh, don't spend a lot of time wondering about whether the flashlights are um, LED or tungsten bulbs. The important thing is that there's a flashlight. So there's a torch. Maybe it's a lamp, but the important thing is that these 10 people need oil to fuel their lamps or their torches. The 10 people are grouped into two groups. Not much is said about them. They're just grouped into two, the foolish and the wise. Then in verse 3, we're told what the gist is. We're told what makes the foolish foolish and what makes the wise wise and the important thing that characterizes the wise. Jesus tells us very quickly without going into any detail, for although the five foolish took their torches, they brought their lamps, they brought their flashlights, core tool for receiving the Messiah when he comes, but they brought no oil with them. They were out there with their ever-ready flashlights but with no spare batteries. The wise brought oil in flasks along with their lamps. So the important thing as you can see, is whether the ten women who are going to receive the Messiah when he comes are equipped, whether they have undergone advanced preparations. And they, five of them don't because the bridegroom is delayed. Why does it say the bridegroom is delayed? Well, the early church was expecting Jesus to return virtually right away. And some time had passed. And people were running out of gas, as it were. And so Jesus' lesson in his teaching in Matthew is, yes, I'm coming perhaps later than you think, but I don't want you to run out of gas. I don't want your lamp to be without oil. Uh, yesterday afternoon, I went to Costco to buy some snacks for church. You might have noticed where you're getting kind of low on potato chips. So I got into the Mazda and uh, drove down to uh, Queen Elizabeth Way. And then when I got in the car, I realized the, uh, the, um, the empty light was on for the gas tank. And I thought, well, you know, if I, if, I, if I go all the way to the Queensway, I can get cheap gas at Costco. But the light is on. So I thought, Glenn, don't be a fool. Go and get gas. So I stopped at the Ultramar, and I put in like two and a half liters worth, five bucks worth. I thought, we're good. Well, I get in the car and fire it up, and the warning light is still on after I fired it up. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is going to be really stupid if I run out of gas on the QEW, and the CAA guy comes to me and says, why didn't you fill it earlier? And I said, I did fill it. I was just too cheap, and I only filled it with five bucks because I wanted to fill the rest of the tank with cheaper gas when I got to Costco. If that had happened, the store would have been closed. Well, you see the point, don't you? The question is, how much gas is in your tank so that when Jesus comes again, will you still have faith? Folks, there's a rough road ahead. And Jesus is concerned that when he comes, that you might ha not have enough gas in your tank, oil in your lamp, or whatever else it is. So what is the oil? Well, the oil, as I've already intimated, chiefly is abiding trust in the gospel, abiding belief in the good news of Jesus. And I'll say it again. Jesus died for your sins. 
And it's not you who are going to make your way to heaven and to please the Messiah by your righteousness, as important as that is. No, it's all about piggybacking on the righteousness of Jesus and on the work that he accomplished on the cross when he died for you. So it's like sort of taking him and putting him in your gas tank and making sure that he's there with you when he comes again. So there was a delay. And these five uh, maids who weren't really in for the long haul, as it were, they didn't have oil in their lamps. And so they said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our torches are going out. And in verse 9 we read, The wise responded by saying, There are not enough for us and for you. Go rather to the merchants and buy for yourselves. One commentator said, Friends, this is not a lesson on following the golden rule. <laughs> this is a lesson on being ready. So yes, not very kind of them, but they were prudent. They said, we are prepared. If we try and help you out, we might miss. And then in verse 10, it could be interpreted, no sooner had they departed to buy, the bridegroom came. And then notice the way in which the narrative unfolds. It happens very, very quickly. While they were going away to make a purchase, to get ready when they should have been ready already, the bridegroom came. And the ready entered in with him to the marriage celebrations, and the door was shut. It unfolded all so quickly. And it was because these five were not prepared in advance. Well, the five thought, well, you know, I mean, we went to church for a long time. We are, we are believers. So, uh, Lord, we've come late. And they come knocking on the door. Lord, Lord, hi there, you know us. Open up for us. Verse 12, in response, he said, I truly tell you, I don't know you. Then the lesson comes. Be vigilant, therefore, for you know not the day or the hour. This is timely for us Christians because the delay is as poignant for us as it ever was. And there are many in our culture who sort of think, well, it's been 2,000 years. Uh, when have you not thought of this yourself? That's a long time. Maybe he's not coming. Maybe we can just kind of relax a little and be sort of hedge our bets, be kind of like one-third committed Christians, uh, one-third committed materialists, uh, one-third committed secular humanists, and we'll kind of spread our interests around so that we're going to be we're going to we're going to be covered. Jesus reminds us that we have to be all in. We have to be all in and to be sure that we're ready when Jesus comes again, because when He comes, there's no time to make amends. It's 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 over, and if it's over, we're lost. I wanted to take just a minute to address the issue of the delay of Jesus because I think it weighs heavily upon us and it probably is tempting us to slack off and I want to give a few reasons quickly in passing for why Jesus is delayed but as I was preparing this I sort of thought you know obviously God knows what he's doing <laughs> and if he said okay I'm gonna come on November the 27th 2027 well what are you gonna do tonight like are you coming to church today are you, are you keeping up your Bible study? I hope so. That would be the right thing to do. But there's a temptation within us to kind of um, get ready for the time just before the time. And so my point is this. The delay of Jesus' coming 
keeps us rightly on our toes. It keeps us where we should be, in close fellowship with Jesus at all times, which is the best for us, which is what we want in our, in our, in our, in our most sanctified, willing selves. It's where we should be, and it's where Jesus wants us to be. So we're being kept on our toes, as it were. A.W. Pink, the late 19th to mid-20th century English Bible teacher, gave two answers for the delay of Christ, and I just want to remind us of them quickly. First is in order that God might fully display his long-sufferance, his patience. That God might fully display his long-sufferance. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Peter goes on and he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some people count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Pink goes on to say, all through these 19 centuries in which he had lived, the Lord has been saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Ever since the Savior left the earth, God has been dealing with the world in mercy instead of visiting it with judgment. The next time Jesus comes, it's not going to be a pretty picture for those who aren't ready. It's going to be disastrous. So that's one reason why he is delayed. The other reason is that in order that God might test the faith of his own people. Why those years of waiting before Abraham received Isaac? Why that protracted bondage in Egypt? Why those four centuries of silence between the ministries of Malachi and John the Baptist? Asks Pink. Because God would fully test the faith of his people. Why is he wanting to do this? To the praise of the glory of his grace. Perhaps to demonstrate to the angels to whom we are made a spectacle that God has a people who by his grace can trust him even amidst the darkness of a profound mystery. So it's in order that God might trust his people and it's in order that God might be patient and wait for all to have a chance to come. By the way, who says it's that long? If you are among those Christians who believe that the world is uh, 18 billion years old, a couple thousand years is just like, a, just like a second. If you're wondering why he's gone away, we're given a hint. He goes on a journey. Uh, he goes to prepare a place for us. Uh, and if you are concerned about what Jesus is doing in the interval between his first and second comings, I kind of feel like uh, Job's answer would be good. Um, do you know what God is doing with all of those other planetary bodies in addition to Earth? Earth is but what gr one grain of sand on all of the uh, beaches of the world. And if you are wondering about the delay of Jesus and you're willing to bet that he's not coming back, how much do you really know about the broader picture of the universe? I want to kind of step aside from the mic and just venture a possibility that there may be other people living on other planets who God is becoming incarnate and dying for. And when he comes back, he says, thanks for waiting, guys. I had 2,847 other planets where I needed to redeem the people. And now I'm back. I don't know. But if you have an explanation that is leading you not to be faithful, you're betting with your life. And you're taking a huge risk. 
Because if your faith is not intact when he comes back, by the time you figured out that you were wrong and he was right, it shall be too late. So my friends, first of all, buy time with advanced preparation. Make sure you do whatever is necessary in order to cultivate your faith so that when Jesus comes again, it's still there. Frederick Bruner, in his commentary, talks about people coming to faith and being bright, keen, young Christians. Then he says, you know, you soon find out after you become a Christian and after you get baptized that you're kind of enrolled in an army. And you're, you're, you're being prepared for a battle that might take a whole lifetime. And I'm really concerned that there are uh, people who have a, a powerful conversion experience and they know the Lord now, they're following the Lord now, but the question is, what are you going to do by God's grace to continue your faith for the long haul, as it were? Because what matters is not whether you're believing now, but whether you have faith on the moment that he comes or the moment that you die. My friends, the clock is ticking. So that's one way to be prepared for the return of Christ, according to Matthew chapter 25. Buy time with advanced preparation. B-twap. I don't have a long outline um, this time. Most of my outline consists of just the, uh, or most of my handout consists of the notes that follow, but it, um, the outline, such as it is, is at the top of page five. Secondly, bide time with active production. The second, B-twap. And this takes us to the parable of the talents. Again, Jesus is a marvelous storyteller, and the message, uh, the medium is the message. So it's like a man who travels, and he called his servants, and he gave them control of his possessions. And we know there are three groups of people. There's a five-talent person, a two-talent person, and a one-talent person. The five-talent person and the two-talent persons are treated together in the beginning. To when he gave five talents... Verse 15, notice how quick he is. To another two and to another one. Doesn't really matter. Um, these people, I just give one guy five, one guy two, one guy one. Let's keep going. Each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. Now comes the response of the five, the two, and the one. Immediately, the one who received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more. The important thing is that he was a good steward of the resources. Ditto with the second, verse 17. Likewise, the one who gained two more. Now we come to the third category, and we want to single out this other one. But the one who received one went away, dug the ground, and hid the money of his master. Verse 19, after a long time. My friends, we live in this tension between the fact that Jesus can come instantaneously. It could be now. There's nothing to keep it from being 15 seconds from now. But also, we should anticipate the fact that it could be quite a while. So after a long time, the Lord of those servants comes, and he settles accounts with them. The one who received the five talents presented five more talents. We're told three times about the five talents. This is really important, the gain. The one who received the five talents presented five more talents, saying, Lord, you gave me five talents. See, another five talents I've gained. The emphasis is on accumulating uh, gain in light of your gifts. And now there's an individual blessing that comes for the five-person person. In verse 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Over little you were faithful. Over much I shall set you. 
enter into the joy of my hope. Uh, this is like going to the wedding festival. You've been faithful. There's a glorious wedding banquet awaiting for you. Now comes the two-talent person, verse 22. Approaching the two-talent fellow said, Lord, you gave me two talents. See, another two talents I have gained. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Over a little you were faithful, over much I shall set you. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now comes the third person, and the third person is elaborated upon because these two passages today constitute a warning. Jesus is clearly giving us a warning. Yes, there's gospel in here, but most of it is a warning. Buy time with advanced preparation. Bide time with active production, which the five-talent person and the two-talent person did. Now, person number three comes, and it's quite clear that person number three is expecting to be honored and rewarded. He's just got a bit of a different approach. He is a theologian, and he has studied the character of God and had a certain response. Approaching the one who accepted one talent said, Lord, knowing what a harsh man you are, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter and being afraid, I went off and I, I hid your talent in the ground. So, see, here's what is yours. In response, the Lord said, Wicked, slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather seed where I did not scatter it. You ought therefore to have invested my money with the bankers so that upon returning, I would have what is mine with interest. And then he says to someone, perhaps to a group of angels, we're not told, thus take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, it will be given and all the more. But as for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. And then Jesus uh, ends his parable here with a, a warning note. And expel the unprofitable servant to the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Bide time with active production. The third person uh, lost his nerves, it were. He, he saw only one aspect of God's character, that, that God is prudent and God means what he says, and he thought, I just can't take a chance. You know, I, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a, you know, you mean business. So I, I hit it. And it's all a cloak for his own laziness because he spent more time digging a hole in the ground to stick the money in than it would have taken to take to the bank to earn a little interest. He's putting up a smoke screen and Jesus sees right through it. My friends, we have a choice. We have uh, two choices here. One is to be sure, and this is very simple in some ways, that we are trusting in Jesus right now. And that when he comes, we will continue to be trusting in Jesus. So cultivate your faith. Um, uh, I like to read books on apologetics. I don't always read what the atheists write. because I like to read books on apologetics because I kind of want to be believing when he comes. And if there are reasons for continued belief, well, I'm in. I don't want to be ignorant of arguments against the faith. But um, I want to I have saving faith when Jesus comes. Cultivate your faith. Make it a daily occurrence. 
It's God's way of keeping you on your toes, and it's God's way of making sure that you're ready on the last day. And then invest your talents. Your talents are your money. Your talents are your natural gifting. Your talents are, as one person says, whatever God has given you that he's going to ask you about when you return. Um, hey, I made you a pretty good athlete. What would you do with that? Um, I gave you a lot of money. What did you do with that? I gave you a lot of brains. What did you do with that? I gave you good social skills. What did you do with that? As I think about how to apply this in my own life, and I say this in illustration of how you might apply it in your own, I wish I liked work more. I like to do my job, but I also like to kind of, you know, relax and take it easy. And I sometimes envy other people who seem to just kind of love to work. And Jesus is not calling us to be obsessive compulsives or obsessive repulsives, but he is calling us to be diligent. And notice in this story that uh, the maidens sleep. All ten of them fell asleep. So this isn't kind of, you know, just burn yourself out. You're allowed sleep. But the question is, are you ready? Amen.